This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Well, my name is Mo, one of the pastors here, and so glad that you are here today, even though Darren is here today. I'm here today. And so I uh, just wanted to introduce uh, just a couple things. There's a lot of new faces. And so I wanted to throw this picture up on, on, the, on the big wall just to kind of give you context of who my family is. And this is my, this is my crew. This is the Teeman crew. This is my beautiful wife here. And this picture was taken a month ago because we were able to celebrate the, uh, the wedding and the marriage of my youngest son, Gabe, and his beautiful bride, Rama. And, and then my oldest son, Micah, on the far left, and his very expecting bride, Lauren, who is due with our first grandbaby in two weeks. Two weeks. We're, at, we're growing. And there's, there's a lot of pregnant people in this church. I don't know if you've paid attention, but they're all due within like two to four weeks. So we need more nursery workers. If you're interested in working in the nursery... Now's your time. But this is our crew, and we've been, uh, we've been a part of Conduit for 12 years. That's hard to say. It's unbelievable that it's been 12 years already. And I've been on staff for the past eight as the executive pastor slash campus pastor, and just really excited to be able to teach the word today. Uh, we've been going through uh, the book of John. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to John. We're going to start in, in chapter three today as we continue the Believe series. And as you're doing that, I want to share a quick story. Back in 1995, I don't know if you knew where you were in 1995, but in 1995, the Pope came to America. I don't know if you remember that. He came to the East Coast. He kind of did a tour along New York City, New Jersey, along the East Coast, and uh, he, he came over to visit. In 1995, I was a sophomore in high school and interning with my youth pastor. And what that kind of looked like is me doing all the things that he didn't want to do. Right, Joel? Wherever Joel is, he understands what that means. And so I was a sophomore in high school, and whatever he needed done, I was willing to make help happen. And so I would donate, donate? I would volunteer my time on a, specifically on a Saturday morning to help him crush his list. And one of the things on his list was to change the church sign. Okay, we all love church signs. We drive by them and kind of chuckle and snicker at the funny things that are up on church signs. Well, that day it was my job to help change the church sign. Now, this church sign was about 15 to 20 feet in the air and along a main road in the center of town. I'm talking like a five-lane road through the center of town. So you don't want to screw it up. Well, also, we were a Baptist church, a very Baptist church, in the middle of a Catholic community, okay? We had St. Mary's to the north, St. Peter's to the south. I think we had a Holy Cross to the west and a, um, a Golden Corral across the street, which worked out really well for the Baptists, to be honest. Just kind of make our way over there after, after service. And so the Pope's in town, and our pastor gives my youth pastor the phrase that he wants on the sign. So my youth pastor hands me the phrase that now I'm supposed to go put on the sign. So I have to find the ladder, find the letters, and I'm setting this up outside on a very windy, rainy fall Saturday morning. So paint the picture in your head, okay? So I'm up on this ladder, and if you know me, that's not a good idea to start with. But I'm up on the ladder because I'm serving the Lord, you know? I'm trying to be whatever the Lord needs me to be for that moment. 
the f- <laughs> Jacob's ladder's right. <laughs> the phrase that I'm supposed to put up on the church sign is, there is no hope in the Pope. So this is the phrase that's supposed to go on the church sign. Um, I'm thinking, I'm just doing what I'm told. I'm just doing what I'm told. This is what goes up there. There's no hope in the Pope. I finished it, which is a lot harder to do. If you've ever put the, 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 the letters on the thing, like it's, it's, it's more complicated than you think it is, especially when it's windy and rainy. 15 feet in the air, and you're afraid of heights, and you're 15 years old. Complete it, fold up the ladder, put the letters away, and we start nailing, you know, the rest of the task list. As you can imagine, within about 20 minutes, uh, my youth pastor gets a phone call from the church secretary that says, um, we've got to fix this. Our phones are blowing up. Everybody in the community is mad. This is not going to work. Of course, uh, I mean, it's like, I could have told you that. Um, so we have to go back to the church. I grab the ladder, grab the letters, and I go back over because we've been given a new phrase to put up on the church sign. The new phrase now reads, there's no hope in anyone but Jesus. Much better. Probably should have led with that. Okay? There's no hope in anyone but Jesus. It's still raining. It's still windy. I'm just trying to get this over with. I, you know, trying to have a, a servant's heart about it. Uh, we wrap up, we go to grab lunch, okay? And so we're sitting down to have lunch and we get another phone call. And it's one of those phone calls, you ever sat next to somebody and they get a phone call that you can kind of overhear because the person on the other end is so loud, like you can tell like something's not right. Well, it was one of those phone calls and he, he hangs up and he's like, we gotta go back, we gotta go fix it. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I ju- we just did this. Like, what could have possibly gone wrong? It was like 20 minutes ago. He's like, no, we got to go now. We got to go fix this. Like, oh my gosh. So we go back. We pull into the parking lot. And the phrase was, there's no hope in anyone but Jesus. Okay? And the wind and the rain had taken over and the J-E-S had blown off. And it now says, there is no hope in anyone but us. (laughs) True story. I am not making any of this up. My heart sank. So, you know, there's no hope in the boat, and the Baptists are here to save you. Uh, that's, that's the message that we're leaving into the community. Praise the Lord. Um, the fact of the matter is, what is true is that there is no hope in anyone but Jesus. That is true. And that is the, the premise, that is the framework for John chapter 3. So if you're in John chapter three, this is what we're going to learn today. And I want to kind of set the scene for, uh, for this chapter. Um, you know, the past few weeks, Darren has come up with some really pop culture sermon titles. Okay, so a couple weeks ago, it was Saved by the Well. All right, it was really good. Last week, it was A Few Turntables and a Microphone. Brilliant. Uh, so the, the context of the, 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 the title for this is Nick at Night. Okay, so Nick at Night is, is, is what we're going to learn about today. This is Nicodemus visiting Jesus at night. Okay, you're welcome. It's too easy. Nicodemus, you may, may wonder who's Nicodemus. Well, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Nicodemus is part of the Jewish council. He is, he is 
elevate. He's an elevated Pharisee. Like he was over, he was a teacher, but he was over teachers. He was influential. He was wealthy. He was a ruler. And for him to even spend any time with Jesus would have been uh, inappropriate. It would have been unheard of that he would spend his time with Jesus, who they thought, who the Jews thought, who the Israelites thought, who everyone thought was a heretic. So for, uh, so for Nicodemus to hang out with Jesus in the broad daylight was not going to happen. And so Nicodemus found time to meet with Jesus at night, and that kind of sets the scene for these next few verses. And so today is probably going to read more like a Bible study. So if you're one that takes notes and highlights and, and kind of goes through verse by verse, that's kind of what today is going to be. Um, there's just so much happening in these next 20 verses or so that I just want to make sure that we're, we're hitting it kind of a chunk at a time. So if you like to highlight and underline, today's your day. All right. So John chapter three, we're going to start with verse one and go to verse three. Verses are behind me as well. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, a few things jump out here. First of all, anytime you see truly, truly, you should pay attention. All right, so truly, truly, in this, uh, in this, um, in the Hebrew here, really means amen. So we use it at the end of a sentence. You know, like if I was to say something really profound, you would say, amen. amen. Well, it's the same word, but Jesus uses it at the beginning. And anytime you use it at the beginning and then you say it twice, it has a lot of authority. He's basically saying, He's basically saying, truly, truly, verily, verily, maybe your version says verily, verily. Hear ye, hear ye. I have something very important to say. I have authority to say what I'm about to say. And that's what he says. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this phrase, this born again, or maybe more specifically, more accurately rendered is born from above, completely rocked Nico's world. Okay. Can I call him Nico? Yeah. Calling him Nico. On him, Nico. It rocked his world because Pharisees were hyper-focused on following the law. It's hard for Western culture to maybe wrap our heads around how hyper-focused they truly were, the Pharisees truly were, in following the Mosaic law. I mean, to a T. And they believed that if they followed it so closely, as close as possible, and combined with the fact that they were the chosen ones, the, the, the Jews, the, the Israelites, that because of those things that they would have access into the kingdom. And so for this idea for Jesus to say that you must be born again completely messes with Nicodemus. He's not understanding what is happening here. Even the part where, they, where Nico kind of assumes that he has access to the kingdom just by his, um, just by his nationality, by the fact that he's He's Jewish, kind of is a really good reminder for us that our, our faith is not inherited. We do not have an inherited faith. Your grandfather may have been the pastor of a Baptist church in a Catholic community that uh, had a big impact. Your, your, your father, your mother, your, it doesn't matter. Like, your faith is your own, 
It is not inherited. And this, this is the beginning of what Jesus is starting to teach Nicodemus. You must be born again, John 14, 6, right? I am the way. I am the truth. No one comes to the Father but through me. And Jesus is starting to work on Nicodemus's heart and try to, un- try to help him understand this. What's also interesting about this initial passage is Jesus is answering a question that Nicodemus didn't even ask. Quite frankly, he doesn't even ask a question. If you look at the passage again, he doesn't even ask the question, but Jesus jumps straight to his heart immediately, bypasses all of that other stuff and goes straight to his heart and reminds him, you must be born from above. So Nicodemus continues in verse four. He says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He's confused. He doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. How can he enter, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's kind of sarcastic. Like, but you really think that that's what we're talking about here? Jesus answered, what does he say again? Truly, truly, verily, verily, hear ye, hear ye. I have authority for what I'm about to say. You should probably listen, Nicodemus. I say to you, unless one is born of, of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which born of the flesh is flesh. That is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus is still confused. He's still confused. He's not quite following what's going on here, but Jesus is saying, look, you have been born of the flesh. Each of us, everyone in this room has been born of the flesh. That is true. That, it, that has happened for each of us that are living and breathing right now. But he's saying, no, it's more than that. You can't just be born of the flesh. You must be born of the spirit. It's a completely different process. You must be born from above, from water and the spirit. And the water here is just talking about a cleansing, a cleansing of the heart, a cleansing of the impurities through the spirit that you would be made new, that you would be a recreation, a regeneration, a new person. And this is a theme that's repeated over and over and over in scripture. There's a few verses behind me. This is four of probably 40 at least just in the, uh, the New Testament that talks about this, talking about the water and the spirit, this idea of rebirth and recreation. First Peter 1, 3 speaks of being born anew by God's great mercy. Later in that chapter, in verse 22 and 23, it speaks of being born anew with an imperishable seed, an eternal seed, an immortal seed, a righteous and holy seed, that of Jesus Christ, not the perishable seed that we inherited through Adam, our sin nature that exists in us because of Adam. Two different things. Titus 3.5 speaks to us the washing of regeneration. He has saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. This washing, this cleansing that would happen in our hearts. And then our favorite verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, speaks of being a new creation. The old, the flesh has passed away. All things have become new. This is what he's drilling down with Nicodemus. We continue with verse nine. Nicodemus says to him, how can these things be? He's growing frustrated. I mean, you can kind of feel Nicodemus getting frustrated. Jesus kind of 
uh, echoes his frustration with his own little frustrating response. He says, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? It's interesting because he doesn't say, are you a teacher of Israel? He says, are you the teacher of Israel? Because that part was true. He was the teacher of Israel. Nicodemus should have started to see the signs and should have understood his implications of what was happening in Jerusalem at this time. Nicodemus had heard about the water into wine, knowing that that was a sign and a symbol pointing to the gospel, Christ's blood poured out that we learned about a couple weeks ago. Nicodemus would have for sure have experienced, probably had seen, probably had been at the temple when Jesus cleansed it. His body broken, Jesus' body broken, pointing to he would rebuild the temple. Nicodemus wasn't picking up the signs at all. He was completely missing it, but he should have known. Nicodemus should have known. He was an Old Testament scholar. He was teaching this. He was reading this. He had known about these things for generations to be on the lookout for the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And he's missing all the signs. He's missing the idea of the simple understanding of being spiritually transformed, that there would be a, a new creation through the Holy Spirit given to him, that he could be truly born again. But he's missing all the signs. It reminds me of a story of, uh, I have during um, driver's ed, you know, when you learn to drive a car. Um, I don't know if they still do this. Ohio was pretty strict about driver's ed laws. I'm noticing down here that I don't think that's tr as, as true. Um, even with my two boys, it was like, take a thing online and then drive the stop sign and back and you're good. And I uh, felt like there needed to be more than that. Um, so I remember in my driver's ed class, I'm with the, the, the old guy who's in the passenger seat, and uh, he had a, you know, a brake on his side. Do they still do that now? I don't know. He had a brake on his side, right? So he could help control the vehicle if I was you know, going too fast or whatever. So I'm driving along. We're in a neighborhood, and I'm doing all the right things, right? I'm, I'm, I'm following the speed limit. I got my, my mirrors correct. I'm using the blinker when I'm supposed to. I'm at 10 and 2. Or is it 9 and 3? What is it now? 10 and 2. Okay, I'm at 10 and 2. I'm doing all the right things. And next thing I know, we come to a screeching halt. Like, whiplash. Well, and and I, my foot was not on the brake. His was. He had stopped the car completely and said, did you not see that? I'm like, see what? You just ran through a stop sign. I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, man. Like, I'm trying to do all the right things, but I missed the stop sign. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I did it a second time. <laughs> I'm like, okay, gather your thoughts. Okay, let's go. We'll do this again. And the next block, I, I went right through another stop sign. Completely missed the large, uh, is, it, is, it, is it hexagon? It's an octagon, bright red, reflective material with big white letters that says stop. Completely missed it. It's kind of what's happening here with Nicodemus. Like, he's doing all the right things. He's following the law. He's a good guy. He's, he's wealthy. He's, he's, he's earning a lot of money. He's got influence. There's a lot of friends. He's well-respected in the community, but he's missing the biggest sign of them all, and that's Jesus Christ right in front of him, the coming Messiah. 
And as I'm reading that this week, I'm thinking, man, like, how true is that for us, even still today? Maybe even in this county, in Middle Tennessee, where we've, we've got, we're doing pretty good. It's not like we're all axe-wielding murderers and we robbed a bank last night. You know, we're, we're faithful to our spouse. We're good to our kids and we stay in the lane and we do really, really good, but we're missing all of what Jesus is doing around us. We're doing it on our own in our own strength in the flesh, which is what Jesus was talking about, not of the flesh, but of the spirit that you would see what the Lord is doing in your very presence. And because of that, you can experience freedom. You can experience healing. You can be made new again and again. His mercies are new every day. This is what he's pointing to. This is what he's pointing to. Verse 11, Jesus speaking. What's he start with? Truly, truly. Again, he's saying, truly, truly, hear ye, hear ye. I have authority for what I'm about to say. You should probably pay attention. And he says, I say to you, we speak of what we know. The Father and the Son speak of what they know and bear witness to what we have seen here in Jerusalem and among the Israelites. But you do not receive our testimony. You do not believe that I am who I say I am. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe when I tell you the heavenly things? Jesus is calling out Nicodemus here. But actually, more than that, the the plurality of you changes to all of Israel. He's calling out all of Israel at this point. How could you have missed this? Is what he's calling out, is what he's saying. The nation of Israel, he's calling out their unbelief. They should have known that the Messiah was coming. They had been looking and waiting and looking and waiting, and he's right in their presence, and they're completely missing it. Jesus gets frustrated with Nicodemus here. He's getting frustrated with the Israelites. It's so interesting, I think, when we see examples in Scripture of Jesus getting frustrated. You don't kind of think of that when you think of Jesus, but he does a couple, um, a couple times in the New Testament with in uh, Book of Mark, I think chapter nine, he starts to get frustrated with the disciples on a couple things that are happening, and it just speaks of he's a hundred percent God, he's a hundred percent man, and that frustration is really probably translated into passion. He's passionate about what's happening here. It's like Nicodemus, Israel, Jerusalem, I have come. I have come. I'm here right now. Verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In the most popular verse in all of scripture sits right here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's the context of John 3.16. We have seen John 3.16. We have heard John 3.16 perhaps our whole lives at grandma's house on a plaque somewhere or on sports figures, um, you know, eyeliner or whatever it is. Like we see John 3.16 everywhere, big signs at football games. But the context is in this story right here. This is why he's so passionate about it. Interesting though, Moses, um, 
Jesus inserts this story of Moses, just kind of like a, a little flyer. Like he just kind of throws it out there in what, verse 14? And, Mo, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. I wish I had time to, to explain all this happening with this story. But if you are a note taker, I would ask that you write Numbers 21 in your Bible next to John 3, because Numbers 21 is the story in the Old Testament of Moses and the serpent. The, the very, very, very quick version of this is the Israelites have left Egypt and they're wandering in the desert and they start complaining and complaining and complaining. They're tired of all the manna that has been provided for them. They're lost in the desert. They're tired of the manna. That, and, and if you actually go look and see what the manna was, they, uh, in Deuteronomy, it's described as uh, honey-filled cakes. It's like Krispy Kremes are falling from the sky, and they are complaining about it. Like they're, just, they're tired of eating it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They're having to take a detour, and they're not getting where they need to go, and they're tired, and they're like, Moses, Moses, take us back to Egypt. Put us back in slavery and oppression. We loved it more there than eating Krispy Kremes every day. They're whining to Moses. They start to curse Moses. They start to curse God. And so God sends uh, uh, fiery serpents on the ground that start nipping at their feet to basically kind of teach them a lesson about, you know, appreciate what you have. You ever done that like you're with your kids and they're complaining and, you know, it's like, if I have to pull this van over, it's kind of what God's doing right here. He's pulling the van over. He's got these serpents nipping at their feet. Some of them die. And so then they repent and they say, Moses, forgive us. Lord, forgive us for our, for our, our complaining, our murmuring. God then tells Moses to craft a bronze serpent around a pole and make it high and lift it up. And if they would look upon this, this uh, serpent on a pole, that they would be healed. If they look upon this serpent on a pole, that they would be saved, that they would live. Nicodemus knew that story front and back. He had probably told it and taught it hundreds, if not thousands of times. It was a generational story. And so when Jesus is telling him about the serpent and on the pole being high and lifted up as an example of what's about to happen with Jesus being high and lifted up on the cross, things start to click a little bit. That's the story that's referenced here in this passage. That Moses was high, that, that, that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness was a, a foreshadowing of the sun being lifted up on the cross, that he would be high and lifted up. And then if you would believe, if you would look and believe, you would be saved. If you look and believed, you would be rescued. From what? From your sin nature, from the flesh. You would then be born again, born anew. Verse 17, where it talks about, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's a reminder that our sin our sin nature already condemns us to death. Jesus didn't have to come and do that for us. Like our sin nature, that perishable seed that we inherited through our great, 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 great grandfather, Adam, sentences us to death already. But Jesus has come to forgive us and make that right again, that we may be born again. This is the picture that Jesus is painting. Verse 18 Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. That's what we just talked about. 
because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Just reminding us of, there's a difference here between knowing and not knowing, believing and not believing, and then rejecting completely. It's like, okay, you've been given the information and you'd reject it. Then there's condemnation. That's what he's alluding to here. And he's reminding us of our, our guilty nature, our, our sinful nature that sends us, us to death. And that, but if we come to the light, that there's repentance available for us, that there's, there's forgiveness available for us, that we can repent, that we can confess, that we can look up and believe, look upon and believe and be healed, forgiven, and brought new life. This, this little passage here, this 1 through 21, um, the word believe shows itself seven times. It's really the crux of this, of this passage is that Nicodemus would just believe and then would stop trying to figure it out with his mind and stop trying to figure it out just by doing and doing and doing that he would just be. Believe in Jesus. And he's in his presence. Jesus is there in his presence. And it doesn't say right here in this particular passage that Nicodemus, um, in that moment, believed in Christ. Later in John, that we'll get to, it definitely points to the fact that Nicodemus turned his face towards Jesus, especially during his crucifixion. And we'll get to that in later chapters. But in this moment, Nicodemus is really starting to wrestle with some things, and he's starting to understand that what I like to call Operation Restoration is in full mode. Jesus has come to Jerusalem on a mission, on a mission to make new again, to completely turn everything upside down and provide a way into the kingdom that had nothing to do with the law. Mosaic law specifically. All the signs point towards him as the Messiah. So what do we learn? What do we learn from Nicodemus? We learn a few things. We learn that no matter how religious or educated or influential or wealthy that we are or that we may be, none of that, all of that falls into the flesh category that Jesus talked about in earlier verses, none of those things will get us into the kingdom of God. None of those things will open the door into fellowship with him. That was the reason that Jesus was explaining it the way he was, that you must be born again, which is such a foreign idea and something that is so irrational. It doesn't even make sense except for in the spirit. You must be born from above. And to believe, it just means to trust in, to rely on, to cling. So that's something I want to ask of you today. Perhaps, um, perhaps that's you today. Perhaps you need to, want to believe. 
we just got done singing about it. Wasn't that an amazing song? Incredibly powerful song, and it's so powerful because it's true. That we would believe on Jesus Christ, that we would believe that he is who he says he is. It's really that simple. That we would believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Perhaps for us that have been born from above already, those of us that would say that we are born again, that we are a new creation, we have had that moment, we have had that decision where we looked up upon Jesus and believed, my question to you then would be, does it look like it? Have you been transformed? Are you a new creation? Can people tell the difference between you and the world? Or maybe new you and old you? Are you living like it? Are you growing in wisdom and in stature? Are you spiritually still crawling around and drinking from a bottle? Or are you growing and maturing? Are you being discipled? Are you discipling others? If you've been born from above, are we living like it? These are the questions we've got to wrestle with. The fact of the matter is, there's no hope in anyone but Jesus. That's it. We have made this so complicated. Humanity has made this so complicated. But it's so simple. Just look and believe this morning. Would you stand with me as we wrap up? We close with heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to pray for you as we dismiss. And I just want to ask the question. If today is a day where you believe, if today is a day that you are born from above again, If today is a spiritual birthday, September 18th, 2022, if today is that day for you, would you raise your hand so that we can pray for you? We can come alongside you, walk by you, be with you. Today can be your spiritual birthday. We're going to throw a party. We might even have cake. And for those of us that have been born again, that have been born from above, that have received transformation, if, if you need a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit in your lives to help renew that and make that new again so that you look like you've been transformed, that the power of the Holy Spirit would be evident in your life, if you need that this morning, would you raise your hand so that we can pray for you? Thank you. I see that. Thank you. And Lord, so we come before you now a church, a room full of those that seek your face this morning. Lord, we seek you, we see you, and we seek you high and lifted up. When we sing songs of being high and lifted up, Lord, that is, that's beautiful and all, but Lord, those are, that is a moment where you are being crucified. You are, you are being put to death in replace of us for our sins, or that you would be the spotless lamb up on that cross. The atonement for our sins, Lord, we, we, we thank you.
We thank you for the promise that it means for the eternal life, Lord. Lord, that the only way to the Father is through you. Lord, we believe that this morning, Lord. We, and because we believe that, Lord, we believe in healing, Lord. We believe in restoration and relationship, not just between us and you, Father, but through other believers. We, play, we, we, we believe for healing in our own bodies, Lord, as you, you make old things new, Lord, the old things that didn't work, Lord, we, make, we pray that you make those work again because we're in a new body. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. Lord, we believe in that today for your Holy Spirit to flush out all the impurities, Lord, that we may seek your face and believe and trust in you only this week that we would lift nothing else higher than you, that we look upon your face. We thank you for the power of your word, the power of your spirit. It's in your name, in Jesus' name, we pray these things and believe. Amen. 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 Dismiss, church. Have a good week.